Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. I Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Showreel, our look at the Australian film scene. And at the moment, we're going to talk to some live guests. Unbelievable. Not a chat I've done in the past with someone, but real people. In the studio, we've got field biologist and star of Pandas 3D, Dr. Jake Owens. G'day, Jake. Good. Uh, And also uh, Kate, who's from IMAX, because, of course... IMAX are the uh, the absolute premier 3D experience in Melbourne. G'day, Kate. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having us. Yes. So, uh, Jake, um, I just love 3D, but actually Pandas 3D is, is on a mission, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, pandas and conservation in general are, are really important, and, and we're trying to increase biodiversity. And right now, pandas are at kind of a critical point where they've had about two decades of increased population size, and that took them from endangered down to vulnerable on the endangered species list. But because of the threat of climate change and continued human impacts, um, we're not sure that that's going to continue on for the next 70 years, next 100 years, 200 years. And so my work is uh, working on reintroduction, and that's the, the focus of this film, to try to use captive-born pandas to increase the population size of wild um, pandas. And so our goal right now is try to get the wild populations as big and robust and genetically diverse as possible so that they can um, fight what's going to happen in the next you know, 100 years or so. How did you get into uh, looking into pandas yourself? Yeah, my, my route's really odd, which is kind of similar for a lot of conservation biologists. It's rarely, you know, you work on one species from the start. So I was working on uh, my PhD in West Africa on primates and finishing that. And my expertise is field biology and behavioral observational work in relating that to conservation. So... I got a phone call one day from a professor professor who knew I was finishing, and he asked me if I wanted to go and, and help develop this reintroduction program at the Chundu Panda Base, which is where they have all these captive pandas, but they hadn't uh, developed a program to start putting them into the wild or some of them into the wild. So uh, about four years ago, I got this call, and I've been in China ever since. Are you like everybody else? Did you just fall instantly in love with pandas? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 like, I like weird animals. Uh, we, I like weird animals that are hard to study, and so the, the monkey I studied previously is kind of fits that bill, and then pandas are, are the weirdest bear. They're really very odd animal, and their actions, their ecology, their evolution, 
And so um, I love that part of them. And then when, you know, I work with pandas on a daily basis and I interact with them and you learn their personalities are really individual. They're way smarter than anybody gives them credit for unless you've worked with them. Most and, animals are. Huh? Yeah, true. <laughs> and um, and so, yeah, I, 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 I fell in love with them for, you know, scientist reasons and then actually individual pandas that I, that I work with. So <laughs> that's really great. Um, we... Most people know, uh, or I know, they're, they're in a way their pandas are kind of similar to Australian koalas in that they're very specific about what they eat and also the landscape that they need to live in. Isn't that right? Yeah. So so pandas kind of um, fell into this area where there were a lot of mountains, a ton of rainfall. So in, in Sichuan, China, in that area of, of uh, southwest China, there's a ton of rain and a ton of mountains. And so... Uh, pandas were there and they found that there was a lot of bamboo but not a lot of other stuff like other berries and, and nuts and seeds where black bears maybe would would have flourished in that sort of environment so pandas instead they said well there's all this bamboo let's get really good at eating bamboo and digesting bamboo and and um, consuming tons of it and so then everything about their physiology and their anatomy and their behavior and their annual cycle and everything is related to bamboo availability because that's what's there mm. and uh and uh, over time, that those areas are being impinged on by humans. Yeah. I mean, they live in great habitat with lo- lots of large trees and lots of rivers, and it's a really um, productive area. And so when it's productive for the environment, it's also productive for people. So um, a lot of people moved in there, and then over the last 100 years, you know, there, there are a lot of logging activities, especially in the, the early to mid-1900s, and, um, you know, building roads, building reservoirs, cities a huge population in China and there's a lot of people in um, in Sichuan province uh, where pandas live and so they're taking up this this area that pandas live in. Now, now you're American so mm. uh, that's pretty interesting in the in view of this carry-on at the moment about uh, China and American relations. Yeah. How does that all fit in? That's I think one of the coolest things about the film is that it shows you know one of my best friends he's like a brother to me is uh, Biwen Lei Xiaobi he's in the film and we work together to to help this one panda Chen Chen from a cub as she grows up to try to get her out into the wild and so I work with him every day he's you know the closest person to me at this point you know in 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 my work and so um, but it also follows the story of this guy Ben Killam who's a, a researcher and bear rehabilitator from New Hampshire. So he re- rehabilitates American black bears using this method where he walks them. So he takes little cubs, black bear cubs, um, that have been um, orphaned, the mothers have died or, or left. And so he takes them, raises them in his house with his uh, wife and his sister, and then in the springtime brings them outside into an enclosure and then takes them on walks outside of the enclosure each day. And through that process, they get more accustomed to the wild. And it also gives them safety because predators and other animals avoid humans. And so you kind of give them this protection. And eventually they continue moving out into the wild and then the the bears just decide to be out in the wild. And that's kind of the approach that we're using. Um, it's, and it's a, a release approach that's used for various species all over the world. It's not that common with carnivores, um, but it has been used in, in several bear species. And so we're applying it to, to pandas. But it's a really interesting story of taking, you know, American and Chinese scientists, black bear um, methodologies and, and, you know, panda methodologies and kind of mixing it all together to, to solve a problem. How long does it take for a baby bear to get to be an adult bear? So for 
About five years. Five um, years. Yeah. yeah right. So for giant pandas, it's it's their resection maturity at about seven years. Yeah. And so, have you had any results? So, as you'll see in the film, we had some. You know, these problem uh, conservation problems always have ups and downs. And, yeah, yeah. And so we, with this this in the film, you'll see that uh, Chen Chen she did go out, but she has a, a struggle. And then she ends up coming back to us. And, and we're at the point now where we're moving to a different area, which we think will be more conducive to success for our program, like, like a bigger bigger nature reserve with uh, more habitat and fewer pandas, um, which will help uh, our pandas uh, make their own home range. Do, do, do you have an understanding of how much range a particular panda needs? Because they're solitary, aren't they? Really? It's really difficult to say. So one of the another really cool thing about pandas is that we don't really know that much about them in the wild. And what we do know is from some great work that was done um, on few pandas. They're really difficult to study. Um, it's the most uh, difficult habitat to work in I've ever been in the world. And so you can't see pandas. You can't observe them like you would a monkey in a tree from 100 meters away. You have to be really close to them to observe them. And if you're close to them, they're just going to run away. You know, wild pandas don't want to be around people. And so um, they the estimate they use is about five kilometers squared. This yep. is a home range with some overlap. Um, it's a bit like cats, really. I'm not sure. Actually, yeah. I don't know that yeah, oh, right. there's a, a whole program. There's a program that yeah. followed domestic cats yeah. around there. Uh, it's quite interesting because mm. it's, it's got some similarities. Yeah, actually. So there, there, there's overlap. Um, there's less in with males. Um, a, fairly a lot with females, and then males will overlap with female ranges a, a bunch. But, um, but that'll vary be- between what range they're in and what the resources are, and and so. Um, but about five kilometers is, is what we expect. What you said before was that they went from being endangered to vulnerable, which is a kind of a rule of thumb kind of idea. Uh, yeah. How many, what does that mean? How many so, are you talking about? So right now, the the, the latest estimate puts it at about 2,000 in cool. the wild. Okay. Um, and that's up from, I think, 1988. The estimate was about 1,100. Right. Um, so, so and what are you hoping doubled. to achieve in terms of a viable gene pool? So it, it you know there's the problem with the population right now other than being small I mean 2000 is not a lot of animals no. um the other thing is that it's really fragmented so that's split up into 33 different um subpopulations in in this area and they don't have a lot of connectivity between them so right now um some of the populations have a lot of genetic diversity and they're good and they're fairly sizable but most of them are really small you know 10 or, or 5 or fewer um, and they have low genetic diversity, and that's the real concern for climate change because they won't be able to adapt as quickly. You know, if you have a big diverse gene pool, then you can adapt really quickly. And if you don't, then you know some kind of perturbation happens. You lose your habitat. You climate changes, whatever, and you can't adapt to it very quickly. So that's our real, that's our major concern. So connecting those habitats and also putting new genes in through uh, releases, while you know wildlife releases is our main focus. So uh, 3D pandas has got a very important uh, role to play in this uh, work that you're doing. Yeah. So, so one, one thing is that we, as conservation biologists, I'm mostly in the field, you know, I'll spend months out in tents and, and you don't get to communicate with the public very much. And and that's not good. I think we should be transparent. We should be talking to people about what we're doing, getting more support and, um, and also getting more ideas. in. the other thing is that, um, by sharing this information, more people care about what we're doing, and then you have more support. You know, right now China's making this massive uh, giant panda national park. It's three times the size of Yellowstone uh, in the states, 
And so to do that, you have to, uh, you know, use resources. You have to use funding. You have to, you know, move people out of the area. And also you have to have people on your side. And so you, to do that, you have to have people on your side. And and so that films like this and spreading the message and, you know, we're at a school group today talking to these kids, getting that kind of support and then also getting more people to join conservation. We need more conservation biologists to do this work. And so that kind of support from a movie like this is invaluable. Oh, it just... Before I go to Kate, who's going to tell us all about the practicalities of 3D, uh, Panda 3D, um, what role does pan- do pandas play in China's cultural heritage? Do they have a belief structure around them? Um, you know, the, they've, there's a long history of, you can find all these records uh, throughout Chinese history of, of pandas as, you know, symbols, um, but um, it's... It's surprising that even there's still in, inside China not that much known. I'll get people frequently in China who ask me, "Do you have pandas in America?" Ah, oh, you know, and yeah. and and um, big place, China. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and visitors come from all over the place, but yeah, there's a long-standing history. And, and where we are in Sichuan and Chengdu City, there's panda everything everywhere. I mean, they love pandas. It's like the the highlight, other than food, of Chengdu. So. It's really ingrained in the culture there. Yeah, right. So, Kate, uh, there's a couple of things going on with 3D, a panda's 3D. It starts on today. Yes, today. It opens today, which is really exciting. Yeah, that's right. But there's a whole range of things because it's an educational process. It's not just glorying in 3D. So you're actually focusing on schools Yes, absolutely. So we um, we see a lot of school groups coming through IMAX during the week, um, and we're really excited with this film to have teamed up with the Adelaide Zoo, which, um, as you may know, is home to Australia's only two giant pandas, Wong Wong and Fu Ni. Um, and we just wanted to educate the Australian public and uh, education audiences in particular about how significant... Uh, panda conservation is and what Australia is doing to contribute. So we've got some really great information from the Adelaide Zoo that we can share with education groups. Um, yes, we're really but excited. But for the general public, there's a, even yes. if they buy a ticket. Super exciting. We're giving away a competition. So um, a family of four or four individuals can win a trip to the Adelaide Zoo uh, to go and meet Funi and Wong Wong. So um, that's open right now. So everybody who comes to see Pandas 3D in IMAX gets to go in the running to win that prize. Isn't that lovely? Mm. And uh, we might even have some in-season tickets. So if you are interested in going to see Panda 3D, and who wouldn't be, mm-hmm. uh, give us a call on 94198377 and leave your name and address and we'll organise for you to get a ticket to go and see the, this wonderful film. Uh, thanks very much for coming in. Pleasure. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. You want to hold my hand You need to tell me something I want to hold your hand I need to tell you something You gotta understand Oh, my point of view When I hold your hand I want to understand you
is Pat Bisk. I'm a documentary filmmaker. I've made lots of films, like Rocking the Foundations, For All the World to See, Love Marriage in Kabul, uh, and many more. Show your love. Subscribe today to 3CR. Yes, you're on Solidarity. Oh, sorry. Huh. We're on Showreel. And uh, we're looking at the Australian film industry. You're with Annie. And we've got Charlie Terrier in, in the uh, studio. He is one of the stars of a absolutely uh, thrilling sci-fi Australian film called Occupation. G'day. G'day. How are you, Charlie? Good, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, yeah. I went and saw it last night and I uh, th- found it extremely thrilling and gripping, I'll have to say. Yeah. When the aliens come to uh, a country Australian town. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's something we obviously don't see a lot of in this country. So it's really, uh, I think, exciting, but also surprising. You know, it's it's not just hitting in a you know big urban environment like Melbourne or Sydney. You know, yeah. it's, we pick this rural country town of all places and really makes the audience think why and, you know, why not? Why not? Time. That's yeah, exactly, exactly right. I mean, why would they always come to a big urban area? Maybe it's easy to start, you know, in somewhere rural and sort of work their way in. And, and also uh, the script is actually quite uh, uh, clever because it uh, doesn't give you all information all at once. It places you... Uh, into the position of the audience, the mm. person in the audience, into the position of feeling like you're one of those people who are suddenly, my God, what would you do? Yeah, 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 exactly. You're kind of, uh, you're in the dark as much as the characters are and you're kind of riding every bump with them. Um, it has, you know, elements of, I mean, Luke obviously said last night and a big That's influence Luke of, Sparks, yeah, the... Luke Spark, the director, um, f- amazing, you know, creative and everything. Um and I think, you know, he was saying last night he had a lot of his inspirations in there, you know, from the 80s Star Wars and the Terminator films and uh, Independence Day, big sci-fis. But also there's, you know, little things like, um, you know, horror references, jump scares, you know, things like that, um, misdirections, you know, um, big reveals, you know, sort of. So there's there's a really kind of intricate but interesting storytelling aspect which really keeps you on the edge of your seat. You don't necessarily know where it's going to go at any given time. Yeah. How did you come into the project? Because this is a, yeah. the other strength of this film. Mm. is that it's got an incredibly uh, uh, strong ensemble cast mm. and everybody, like in sort of like a 1930s movie, mm. everybody counts. Everybody does a good performance. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's amazing because we have pretty much a main cast of 10. You know, and, and within, <laughs> which yeah, is a lot, which is which is a lot, and that's a lot of stories and a lot of characters. And uh, this film really weaves all those different narratives together beautifully. Um, but what I found uh, for me getting involved in this film, it was a bit of a, it was kind of like a sudden sort of uh, thing. My my agent um, rang, and he's kind of like, oh, uh, these people would like you to audition for their film. And I said, okay, sure. What's it about? And he said, oh, it's a sci-fi action. And I was like great you know i'm I'm in you know it's like no 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 you uh but we're gonna do an audition i was like okay so over the next i think two days i put down um about four nearly five auditions you know i did did the first set of scenes and then they went that's great um try this and i went okay did that and they went yeah perfect now just try this and i think they just wanted to see different you know dexterity different sort of you know different yeah they wanted actors to be able to act yeah 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 basically you know funny funny that um but yeah i know some people think that acting is an easy gig but actually it's not no no exactly and i think you know that that's a whole different kettle of fish but in today's modern world you get a lot of people crossing over different genres and sometimes we lose 
the art of acting to the art of celebrity or the art of um, what's going to, you know, guarantee big money rather than what's going to guarantee a good story and, yeah. or a good character. But um, Or even having some fun. Yeah, using yeah. Using your skill. Exactly. Um, but so, yeah, so I put those tapes down and then I was actually uh, I was standing with a buddy of mine and we had actually just finished making our own film, our own oh, little cool. war film, which was cool. And we were um, uh, digging some trenches because we made our own, you know, sort of thing. And I get this phone call and um, my my manager, Stephen, was like, yeah, so um, I think we just, you know, kind of, you know, forget about this one, move on. I went, oh, okay, so it didn't work out. And he goes, no, no, I'm just messing with you. you know? <laughs> God, I'm, I was like nearly had a heart attack sort of thing, you know. Um, but no, it was, it was amazing. And then uh, getting up there and meeting everyone and it was – like stepping into another world, really, not just because suddenly I was in Queensland, but the scale of everything and everyone coming together immediately to create this great story, yeah. Yeah, so uh, mm. you met them. Did you do a lot of preparation before? Mm. Yeah, you would have. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I probably found out um, I, I, got, I got the role about mm, eight, nine weeks out and um, I was playing a AFL footballer. Um, and I grew up playing AFL and I, I love AFL and everything, but I kind of went, um, for me, I, I sort of felt that the character is very much, you know, on the cusp of that level. So I wanted him to be as fit as possible. So physically I put myself through a bit of a eight week transformation and everything while doing my own character work and, and, you know, sort of acting homework on the side and everything. Um, so by the time I got up there, which was late April, we did one week of pre-production, which was, you know, meeting everyone, doing all the logistical stuff and talking to Luke about, you know, his thoughts as well and kind of bringing all that together. And then obviously, yeah, we started shooting and, you know, two two months later and then we were on set for six weeks. But so much of that was I'd done so much of that homework and that preparation that then when I kind of got on there, things always change in the moment. But so much of it was going, you kind of just now have to give yourself over to the ride, I guess, you know. It's like well, it's quite complicated. Mm, I mean, there's mm. uh, like I was very impressed mm. with the fact that there were so many stories and so many people and so many emo- emotions, mm. but actually they sewed together really well. Very good, a very clever piece of work from mm. the director, the editor, mm. and I'll have to say the very strong performances by the actors. Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. And... Um, you know, without giving too much away, obviously you have some... Well, we're not going to give any away. Well, well there you go, yeah. yeah. Well, except to say that the um, uh, aliens are really realistic. Yeah, yeah. That yeah everything's yeah. very realistic. It works. It, it is confronting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it in, works. In more aspects than one. Mm. Yeah, it's mm. good, it's good. I mean, uh, it's an action film. It uh, barrels along at a, a great pace. Yep. Uh, but it doesn't bang into itself at all. It uh, rollicks yeah. along beautifully. It really keeps the story moving. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. And it, uh, like I was saying to you before, it uh, uses some what I would consider to be sort of like uh, 1950s high Hollywood sort of uh, use of uh, music and uh, high drama uh, to actually achieve quite uh, extraordinary peaks of uh, without people having to strictly believe in all the uh conventions of film yeah 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 and 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 a great use and mix of practical effects and special effects you know cgi as well which was terrific to have that on set and then also see how that came up in the film when blended with the uh other elements that of course you can't create how long ago was did you finish shooting 
Um, we finished shooting pretty much about around this time last year. So it was late June. Yeah. Um, we sort of finished mid-June, had two weeks off, went back, did a couple of pickup days. Um, which as did you have to do many of them? No, no. Which is interesting because yeah. the, the links are very good. Yeah, yeah. They probably set but aside. They really thought this through, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they set aside. I think like a week for pickups, but they didn't need it. They we did a day. Yeah, amazing. And it was more like, hey, let's since we're all here, let's, let's do this and this, this and you know, it was yeah. yeah, it was really it was it was a fun sort of pickup day because it was like throw your ideas out there and see what sticks. So it's been about a year and it's had mm. three uh, f- sellout uh, performances, yep. and it's already been picked up by the Americans and mm. uh, Occupation Two is already in the pipeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, that'll Amazing. probably yeah, but it's it's not common at all for a film no. to obviously get greenlit for a sequel before the first one even comes out. So that is just incredible news already um it's obviously comes out here on um july 12th and then america i think it's july 20 and then worldwide will you know very quickly follow so i think the reason for that that demand for the sequel was overseas people going we want to see this you know we we, want to see the next episode we don't see australian action sci-fi this is really cool you know show us more so yeah (laughs) So mm. when it comes out, go and buy your ticket and mm. see and be part of the uh, thrill. Coming yeah. up next is Published or Not. Thank you very much for coming in. Oh, thank you. You want to hold my hand. You need to tell me something. I want to hold your hand. I need to tell you something. you got to You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.